Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Farm Talk. I'm Barry O'Mahedy. The Climate Action Plan 2021 Securing Our Future has been launched. A recently formed group representing the private forestry sector in Ireland held its first major public action outside the gates of Leinster House. The fertiliser situation. Farmers are battling against sky-high prices. We hear from a graduate of the Nuffield Ireland Scholarship on her research into how the dairy industry can attract younger entrants. We have an update on Mokra activities across Cork. And John O'Connor has more on the stories making the agri-news. Farm Talk on C103. The Irish dairy industry is to open the door to an initial 100 skilled dairy farm assistants from outside the European Economic Area to ease staff shortages on Irish farms. This has been welcomed by Mr Stephen Arthur, IFA National Dairy Committee Chair. Minister of State for Business, Employment and Retail, Damien English TD, has announced changes to the employment permit system to allow suitably skilled dairy industry workers from outside the European Union to help ease the labour shortage in the dairy and other sectors of Irish agriculture. It's been widely reported there are labour shortages not just in the dairy industry but also in horticulture, pig and poultry sectors. IFA National Pigs Chair Mr Roy Galley hopes that granting of permits for butchers and general meat processing operatives will alleviate the current logjam. The new general employment permit quota of 1,000 for the horticulture sector is long overdue and critical, according to the IFA Horticulture Chair Mr Paul Brophy. The positive reaction to the announcement of extra work permits being open for application by people from outside the European Union was tempered by disappointment expressed, apparently, that the poultry sector had not been included. IFA National Poultry Chair Mr Andy Boylan said there's an increased demand for experienced poultry workers which has not been addressed. Yet again, he said, he finds that the poultry sector here has been excluded. The department, he said, must release a quota of 100 workers for the sector urgently. IFA Horticulture National Chair Mr Paul Brophy urged that the approval of permits should be streamlined and straightforward to get these skilled non-EU workers in time to harvest crops by Christmas. Earlier, the IFA President, Mr Tim Cullinan, welcomed the permits announcement, recalling that his organisation had been lobbying for months now for an easing of the permit system to get skilled workers for Irish farms. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. 
The Climate Action Plan 2021 Securing Our Future was launched on Thursday. It outlines a pathway to reducing Ireland's greenhouse gas emissions by 51% in 2030. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, says it's the most ambitious climate action plan ever produced and has farmers at the very centre. The targets will help make Irish farms more carbon efficient and build a more resilient agri-food sector. IFA says the agricultural emissions ceilings will be extremely challenging. ICMSA says farmers will engage constructively but will not be made fools of. ICSA described the sectoral emissions reduction targets for agriculture as incredibly challenging. The Climate Action Plan calls for agriculture to cut its emissions by 22 to 30 percent over the next nine years. One in every 14 jobs in Ireland is in the agri-food sector, which is the largest contributor to overall emissions. Pat O'Toole, political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal, joins me to discuss the Climate Action Plan. And I began by asking Pat to outline the changes that will be necessary in the agri-sector to meet the targets which are being set out. A huge range of measures, the uh, the adoption of the MAC curve, um, an intense engagement uh, between the advisory side of Chagask, um, adapting uh, onto farm the uh, research side of Chagask to put best practice on all farms. It's a very big ask to expect all farms to respond, but that's the the plan. Um, and I think you're going to have to need the kind of interaction we see in the ASAP program, which targets vulnerable uh, catchments uh, across the country. So, uh, in terms of nitrogen reduction, down to 350,000 tonnes a year by the uh, middle of the decade and then 325,000 tonnes by the end of the decade, a huge switch to, away from CAN uh, towards uh, protected urea, uh, 90% of all slurry to be uh, low-emission slurry spreading methods. You're going to see uh, 90% of farmers, uh, dairy farmers milk recording up from 50%. A 75% of cattle to be weighed, a reduction in the average age of slaughter targeted from 27 to 24 months. The Minister believes all these things are achievable um, and that they will bring us up close to that 22% and that's current technologies. And then the hope will be, <coughs> pardon me, that uh, the more intensive research, which we surely must now engage in, around these and other areas that are, are being planned, such as um, the increase in uh, mixed species swards, which would have a very low input, a higher use of clover as nitrogen fixer in grass swords. But we'll also get new technologies, especially around um, methane reduction, because methane is problematic. Methane comes from our livestock herd, especially uh, our cattle. Uh, sheep emit a little, but it's uh, minuscule when you compare it to a dairy cow, now rated around 120 kilos, a suckler cow around 90 kilos of carbon uh, CO2 equivalent per year. So how do we reduce that? At the moment, there are a number of efficiencies which have brought down the methane per kilo of output. Uh, and, and that's one metric that you can use and we have been using to show the relative efficiency of Irish farming. And we are the most efficient dairy farmers and indeed grain farmers in Europe. And uh, only New Zealand can compete with us globally uh, in that me- metric of efficiency. But we have a new metric now and it's total uh, output of methane uh, and and of carbon dioxide equivalent irrespective of our output. So even if we increase our output significantly, if we don't reduce our methane, we're in trouble. The stable herd is a big issue and uh, 
it's an obsession within farming, no doubt. The teacher described it as an obsession nationally, and he said he couldn't understand why everyone was so obsessed with the national herd. But the reality is, it is the huge dilemma at the heart of uh, of, of the agri-sector's uh, efforts to reduce our, our uh, carbon footprint. And someone's going to have to grasp that metal soon. The government also saying that, you know, they want to act on this and see it through. Previously, these were very much aspirational. Do you think there's a realistic chance of all these targets being followed through and being met? Well, they're certainly going to be followed through on. Whether they'll be met or not, it, it, it will be up to uh, whether they, the theory turns out to be practised in reality uh, and whether it comes through and also farmer engagement. And farmers have a responsibility here to uh, to step up to the plate. They have so many times. Uh, I've been farming. Uh, I grew up on a farm. I'm farming myself. And we've seen farming transform itself multiple times over the last century, multiple times since we went to the e- uh, into the EC in 1973. This country is uniquely uh, predisposed to uh, turning grass into milk and meat, especially milk. And the reality is that, that that ability was stymied by the quota system. We were only in the EEC for 10 years and our dairy industry was only cranking up when quotas came in. We missed out. And uh, that pent-up ability and desire to produce milk was unveiled and released then in 2014. And as Stephen Arthur, the IFA dairy chairman, highlighted in some of the uh, meetings that the minister's been holding around the country, the government encouraged farmers to invest on their farms, to expand their dairy herds, they encouraged new entrants, they encouraged the processors to increase their capacity, and they assisted them through Arnua in developing new markets abroad. There's no doubt that the government was fully engaged in and behind dairy expansion, um, and it was part of the National Plan for Farming through the, the, the plans which were unveiled Uh, back even before quotas ended, we now have a moment where we cannot continue to expand in dairying and reduce the carbon footprint unless we slash the sucker herd. That is just the reality. So there is a huge dilemma there that government has to confront at some point and they have to acknowledge their own part in uh, bringing us to the moment we're in at them. What happens next? Where does it go to now? How how is it followed through and rolled out? So the plan... uh, in terms of the sectoral targets, uh, where they go next, they go to the Dáil. Uh, once it's been approved by the Dáil, uh, there's going to be a refining of the targets, and that will be very important for farming. Um, we'll be watching that process closely. Will it be months or years? It seems that it's going to be... Initially, it seemed like that the, the broad targets would carry through to 2025. Now it seems like uh, the window will be much uh, narrower, that we're going to have a narrowing of the target quite soon and within the lifetime of this government. So, uh, in the meantime, what we've got to do is put our best foot forward as farmers and adapt all the measures. For instance, uh, they want 80,000 uh, acres of feedstock to supply AD plants. We've seen the dairy chiefs uh, put forward their plan to set up some anaerobic digesters. Uh, solar, uh, they're now going to pay farmers uh, for the energy that's put back into the grid for microgeneration of solar. And there's been a promise to speed up the planning process around solar farms for those farmers, and there are hundreds of them, who have applied for uh, solar farms, for large-scale solar farms. That can be a solution. Um, 
and uh, and then all those previous measures that uh, I outlined, which the farmers are well aware of, they're going to be rolled out. The slaughter premium one will be interesting, or the, how that will be funded, whether it's going to be, there was talk of public-private partnership as a phrase that's been used quite a bit recently. So whether the factories are going to be engaged in it, farmers will be very dubious about any factory-paid uh, slaughter premium because they'll feel it's being given on one hand and taken away on the other. There'll have to be huge transparency around that for any farmer buy-in. And the uh, relations between farmers and processors are not good and haven't been good for many years. So that would have to transform too if we're going to see a slaughter premium as part of an effective solution. Within farming, it's about jumping onto the onto the bandwagon, as it were, and and getting on with those things which are measurable and which are achievable. And externally then, it's about very closely watching whether that target is close to the 22 achievable or the 30 very difficult target. Pat O'Toole, political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Farm Talk on C103. Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform, Malcolm Noonan TD, has welcomed the actions of national parks and wildlife staff and the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage in securing convictions in counties Cork and Kilkenny for offences under the Wildlife Act. In three recent district court cases taken against landowners for the removal of hedgerows, trees and scrub during the bird nesting season, fines and donations totalling €6,000 were secured. Minister Malcolm Noonan said these prosecutions further demonstrated the seriousness of wildlife crime. He was grateful to the NPWS conservation rangers involved and welcomed the comments of the judges. He said we must respect nature and we must respect the laws which protect it in turn. Section 40 of the Wildlife Act prohibits the cutting, grubbing or destruction of hedgerows during the period from March 1st to 31st of August inclusive and is aimed not only at protecting the habitat most used by farmland birds during the critical time that birds are nesting and rearing fledglings, but also to protect the wide-ranging biodiversity from wildflowers to insects which occupy this most important farmland habitat. In the court cases, the judge noted that landowners, considering doing work on hedgerows or areas of scrub, including burning of areas, should be aware of the law. They should also be aware of the risks to their BPS basic payment scheme incomes as it's a condition of such payments that provisions of the Wildlife Act in relation to hedgerows would be adhered to. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. COP26 continues in Glasgow and one of the agreements reached during the week was a pledge to end deforestation by 2030. The announcement comes with new funding commitments to see the pledge implemented on the ground. Irish Wildlife Trust has welcomed the announcement, saying the preservation of the world's forests is essential for the stabilisation of global ecosystems, including not only for climate, but also water, biodiversity and livelihoods. IWT Campaigns Officer Porik Fogarty is at the COP26 Summit in Glasgow and I asked him about the pledge. On Tuesday there was an announcement that uh, over 100 countries have committed to ending deforestation by 2030. Deforestation of course is uh, not only a leading driver of climate change but it is also a leading driver of the collapse of biodiversity and the two are extremely uh, interlinked. Now this promise has been made before so 
I have to point out that there's an awful lot of scepticism here in Glasgow about any of the commitments that are being made. But one difference that is being pointed at this time is that it's coming with an awful lot of money. There's several billions of uh, dollars being committed to uh, developing countries, countries in the tropics in particular, to make sure that deforestation comes to an end. How does Ireland play into that then, that agreement there that was reached this week? We were trying to point this out in our statement because Ireland is uh, effectively one of the most deforested countries in the world. So it is difficult to see how we we could uh, deforest more. But it is a fact that even the very few areas of native woodland that we have left in Ireland are continuing to be lost and degraded, mostly through neglect. Of course, we have over 10% of tree cover in Ireland now, but that is mostly made up of uh, non-native monocultures, uh, which are not the same as as a functioning forest with all its biodiversity benefits from it. So what we've been asking for is that we we get serious really about uh, uh, reforesting Ireland to a meaningful extent to restore our native forest ecosystem. We can't look at Brazil and Indonesia and be horrified at the loss of the tropical rainforest without also being horrified at the loss of our own forest ecosystem. And all that comes in a week here where we had a big protest in Dublin by the foresters, the association CFIT. They, they can't get the licences. There's been delays with the licences. How does that all play in then to what's been agreed this week at the summit? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the forest, uh, forestry in Ireland is in a crisis situation because of uh, licences. That's quite an acute problem. But I think we can look beyond that acute problem to look at the wider challenge uh, of increasing our forest cover in Ireland. Uh, we have to move away from uh, monocultures and clear felling and, and a very narrowly focused industrial model of, of producing timber. We have to look at the much wider and more important benefits of, uh, of stabilizing our ecosystem, protecting our water, as well, of course, of, as producing timber within uh, sustainable forest systems. And, Porik, maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about the sense of being at a major summit like this taking place in Glasgow. The world leaders were there earlier in the week. They'll return again. Is there a sense of something big can be achieved here? It honestly depends on where you're standing. Uh, The event itself is absolutely enormous. Uh, And when you're inside the event, it has all the air, really, of a trade fair. And it's really dominated by... uh, by the countries themselves and and, uh, and and companies and private interests. So when you're inside the centre, you'd scarcely believe that there was a global crisis uh, going on in terms of the collapse of the living world. It's very controlled. Uh, on the other hand, on the outside of the conference centre, we're seeing a lot of protests. Uh, there's going to be some major protests here over the weekend. Uh, and so there is this tension really between the reality as a lot of us see it in terms of uh, the, the dangerous place that we're heading to and um, and the rather sanitised version of it inside the conference centre itself. And what kind of timeline will play out now, Padre, uh, before the big leaders come back again and, and trying to hammer out some kind of a deal? Well, there's going to be an awful lot of talking. Uh, there's a huge amount of, of uh, conferences here and, and and lots of lots of high level people going on, but to be honest, the the, the mood is is not particularly optimistic. Uh, the 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 poorer countries are uh, constantly talking about the broken promises that have been made about financing, because money is absolutely vital in terms of helping other countries to adapt to climate change. 
there's no particular sense that the Chinese or the Russians are, are interested in this. And of course, if all the countries are not interested, um, it's going to make the challenge uh, pretty much impossible. Uh, so it doesn't mean that progress won't be made. It may well be made. But I just think we need to manage expectations about what's going to happen before the end of next week. IWT Campaigns Officer Podrick Fogarty speaking from the COP26 Summit in Glasgow. A recently formed group representing the private forestry sector in Ireland held its first major public action, staging a protest outside the gates of Leinster House in Dublin. The Social Economic and Environmental Forestry Association, CIFA, brings together different stakeholders in the sector, including owners, contractors and the buyers of privately sourced wood products, with the aim of highlighting the problems in the forestry licensing process. Speaking to AgriLand at the event, Paddy Bruton, a founding member of the group, said that CIFA was formed out of need. Every activity we do in the private forestry sector is a licensed activity. The Forest Service of the Department of Agriculture and Food, of which Pippa Hackett has direct responsibility for, are not issuing the licenses that we need in order to trade. The backlog that has been there now for over four years has increased this year. There is now in excess of 1,000 deforestation licences in the Forest Service, which we don't really know when they're going to get issued, when there's going to be a decision made. There's thousands of felling licence applications in the Forest Service and the Department of Agriculture, and we don't know when they're going to be issued. Jobs have been lost. Contractors have gone out of business. Farmers who have been trying to plant land are not able to plant it. Farmers who have forests are not able to get the necessary permits and licences in order to manage their forests. I am 24 years in forestry. This is the first time that I have seen fit to take a protest. It's the first time where I have seen, and my colleagues in CIFA have seen, that we have no other choice. We need action. We have been left with no choice but to protest. We hope, hope, that we do not have to protest again. We, we need, first of all, we need acute political leadership. We need leadership, we need a new management in the Forest Service of the Department of Agriculture, we need a can-do attitude in the Department of Agriculture. We need people to take ownership of this and solve this issue that has been going on for years. This cannot continue. So politics, first of all, because all other options have failed. Preferably, the Office of the Taoiseach need to get involved now. We have Michal Martin saying yesterday in Glasgow that the time for talking is over that action is now required. Taoiseach, this is the first action you can take and solve this problem because this is the low-hanging fruit. Aforestation and the felling of trees and the management of of crops that capture carbon is the low-hanging fruit in our battle against climate change. Taoiseach, you need to intervene here. A second thing we need is we need the cap programme that has been implemented and decisions have been made on in December of this year to recognise afforestation. So far the whole forest industry has been excluded from the CAP Consultative Committee and excluded from, from the CAP that's going to happen in January 2023. We're here today because we need action, we need it now. Senator Pippa Hackett, Minister with Responsibility for Forestry, has re- When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Receive the second interim report on the implementation of Project Woodland. The report is prepared by the Project Board overseeing implementation of the project which was established to reform the regulation and vision for forestry in Ireland. Minister Pippa Hackett said Project Woodland is absolutely essential if we are to reform the design and delivery of woodland creation in Ireland. This really has been brought into focus by the upcoming delivery of the Climate Action Plan. We need land-based climate and biodiversity solutions and woodland creation must be central to this. Mr Hackett noted some real progress being made since the last interim report in July, not least, she said, the significant improvement in licensing output since then. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine had issued an average of 118 new licences each week since end of August, which she said was very welcome. This year will see the highest volume ever of timber licence for harvest. The Minister is also keenly aware that an urgent uplift in afforestation licensing is needed. Her department would soon be producing its projections for licensing for the first half of next year, 2022. Minister Hackett said the interim report also confirmed her department was proceeding with a full regulatory review of forestry licensing to be conducted by external consultants. The external consultants will be submitting their report in February 2022. Minister Hackett said there's also been significant progress on both the proposals on pre-application discussion and the planning grant. Work on the next vision and strategy for Irish forestry is also making good progress with the community-based outreach through National Rural Network already underway and a national attitudinal survey on forestry about to commence, the Minister claimed. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Farm Talk on C103. The department has confirmed avian influenza H5N1 in a wild bird in County Galway. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine has confirmed a highly pathogenic avian influenza HPAI subtype H5N1 in a wild bird in Oranmore, County Galway. The peregrine falcon was submitted to Limerick Regional Veterinary Lab as part of the department's wild bird AI surveillance programme. 
highly pathogenic H5N1 has been confirmed in wild birds, poultry and captive birds in Great Britain, in Italy, Germany, the Netherlands, Estonia, Poland and Denmark since mid-October. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine point out we are currently in the high-risk period, October to April, for introduction of HPAI into Ireland from migratory wild birds returning to overwinter from areas where HPAI is widespread. Wild birds act as main reservoirs of avian influenza viruses. The Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine are remaining in close contact with industry stakeholders and reiterates that strict biosecurity measures are necessary to prevent introduction of avian influenza into poultry and captive bird flocks. Flock owners should remain vigilant for any signs of disease in their flocks and report any disease suspicion to the nearest Department Veterinary Office. The Health Protection Surveillance Centre has confirmed that although the HPAI, H5N1 subtype, can cause serious disease in poultry and other birds, human infection is extremely rare and no human infections with this virus have been reported in Europe this year. Properly cooked poultry and poultry products, including eggs, are safe to eat. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Anna Sexton of Tiagas joins us this week to discuss winter housing of cattle. Farmers' thoughts are now turning to winter housing and how best to manage cattle. It's a costly time on the farm, but weight gains over the winter can greatly impact livestock performance. Having a plan is essential to make sure that housing is as stress-free as possible and that animal performance is optimised over the winter months. Today we look at how stress can be reduced at housing time, how farmers can ensure animals are getting adequate winter feed and first, what farmers need to consider regarding their housing facilities at this time. I suppose assessing the animal housing on the farm, so just to make sure that the sheds have adequate ventilation, that extra air is allowed to circulate around the sheds at this time of the year because viruses and bacteria can be a problem in poorly ventilated sheds. So we want to make sure that there's enough um, good quality air in sheds which reduce the likelihood of infections and trying to keep drafts to a minimum. So overcrowding sheds can lead to a reduction in animal performance and a high level of moisture in sheds allows pathogens to, to spread and survive, especially in the air and the bedding used in the sheds. Um, for example, if straw bedded pins are gently sloped, this will reduce the amount of moisture in the bedded area of the sheds. So also there, um, just to check that all shed gates, ca- calving gates, feed barriers, um, yard lights and electrics are in good working order as like we are in a dark time of the year and I suppose just to avoid any accidents that might might occur on the farm. How can stress, say, be reduced at this time? So I suppose we want to make the housing period for stock as stress-free as possible. So it's seen as an ideal time there to wean suckler cows from their calves. At weaning time, calves are more prone to diseases and infections and because their immunity is suppressed due to the stress of housing and weaning. So in regards to suckler cow, it's, be- it's better to we- wean the calves from the cows while outdoors and over a gradual period of time. I suppose under a programme that most suckler farmers would be involved in at this stage called the BPS programme, and calves ha- are being meal-fed four weeks before weaning and two weeks after weaning. And this has shown to reduce the stress on animals at housing time. So the other thing there is that uh, the use of a creep wire is one way of breaking the bond between the cow and calf. So 
we try to make sure that calves can see their, their dams at weaning time and also hear them. And also castration and debudding should be avoided in the lead up to housing as these practices also cause stress to the animals. And then how can farmers ensure animals are getting adequate feed over the winter months? Okay, so I suppose there's always a bit of competition with it with with larger and lighter animals. So we we kind of advise there that animals of a similar size and weight are grouped together in the shed. So we want to get as much live weight gain from the cattle over the winter. So it's advisable to group the cattle in accordance um, of their weight. So regarding cows, they're separating first calvers from the older cows has shown to reduce the incidences of bullying within the shed. And also um, it's important there where heifers are calving a two-year-old because smaller cows and heifers should get preferential treatment uh, for feed. So it's recommended there that a feed face allowance would be about two feet per animal. Dry cows then should be grouped on the basis of their body condition score. This allows their intake to be monitored and to reduce the incidences of difficult calving. It's very important there that animals have access to fresh, clean water also. Anna Sexton of Tiagusk, and we'll continue with the topic on Wednesday night's programme. For years, the Irish farm organisations have complained about high import duties on fertilisers coming from outside the European Union. So what is the current situation? Are we likely to see the relatively exorbitant EU prices scale back? The situation has probably worsened following the tightening of energy supplies, especially natural gas. John O'Connor joins me to discuss the fertiliser situation with farmers battling against sky-high prices. The market indications are that it's wishful thinking to expect prices to revert to what they were even a year ago. And have the farm organisations been active in trying to bring prices down? On October 28th, the IFA president, Mr Tim Cullinan, met with the cabinet of Trade Commissioner Dombrovskis to address the crisis in the fertiliser sector. He also communicated the COPA request for a suspension of anti-dumping duties on liquid fertiliser, UAN, urea ammonia nitrogen. John, have you any idea of the scale of the increasing fertiliser costs? Well, Irish farmers have seen the price of UAN, urea, ammonia, nitrogen, increase by 228% since last year, with urea now quoted at €860 per tonne. The IFA say they have consistently pointed out the lack of competition in the European fertiliser market. And what does the IFA claim are contributing factors to this surge in fertiliser prices? One factor would be the increased costs of natural gas, which is used in making fertiliser. But the Commission's decision to apply anti-dumping measures on nitrogen fertiliser imports is further restricting the market. And you mentioned gas as a factor in the 228% UAN increase per tonne over last year's price. The current high natural gas prices have impacted production and availability, but just when farmers are hurting most and under most pressure, the IFA say we can read about Yara, the Norwegian company, delivering improved returns reflecting higher prices in the third quarter. And I understand Yara actually cut production in September this year. That's correct. Yara cut its fertiliser production by 40% on the 17th of September 2021. Yara were reported as saying at the time that the move was being made due to rising natural gas costs. The company said record high natural gas costs were impacting ammonia production margins and as a result Yara of course would have to curtail production at a number of its plants. 
And IFA contend margins earned by the European manufacturing industry in the last number of years are disproportionate to those earned outside Europe. That's correct, according to surveys carried out by the IFA. Tim Cullinan has urged the Commission officials to act immediately and initiate an investigation on UAN, urea, ammonia, nitrogen, anti-dumping duties. As COPA first vice president, he pointed out that French arable farmers were consuming 50% of this UAN fertiliser. A recent press release from the IFA indicated there was a possibility of a public hearing on the anti-dumping duties and the whole question of fertiliser costs in the EU. Further clarification on a public hearing is awaited then. Yes, the prospects of a public hearing on the fertiliser industry in Europe could be on the cards. Certainly the IFA president will be pressing for a public hearing. Following the IFA president's meeting with the Cabinet of Trade Commissioner Dombrovskis, the DG thanked Tim Cullinan for providing new market data. The DG trade representatives reassured Mr Cullinan of the urgency with which they are treating the COPA request, but that it was a very complex procedure which required due diligence. So no firm indications the EU will be reducing or abolishing import duties on cheaper fertiliser from outside the European Union. That's correct, Barry, unfortunately. No firm indication at this point, but the farm organisations and COPA will be pressing hard for action from the EU Commissioner. Farm Talk on C103. The chairman of the IFA Horse Project team, HPT, Mr Richard Kennedy, has presided over the first in-person meeting of the IFA Horse Project team with new members appointed by the IFA National Officer Committee. The meeting discussed and agreed on the main priority areas which the IFA HPT would focus on for the 5,000 farm families involved in horse breeding. The 2021 IFA HTP consists of representatives of both the thoroughbred and sport horse sectors. A 2017 Deloitte Economic Report commissioned by HRI, Horse Racing Ireland, showed that 92% of registered thoroughbred breeders in Ireland have five broodmares or less. The profile is similar in sport horses. A 2017 UCD report into the sector's economic contribution showed that the mean number of sport horse broodmares per breeder was 2.6. The vast majority of these horse breeders are farmer breeders involved in farming alongside their equine enterprises. Richard Kennedy said that the IFA seeks to represent all sectors of the farming community. The HTP, he said, would work within the IFA to influence policy makers to address issues of concern to thoroughbred and sport horse breeders. On priorities for the HPT, Horse Project Team, Richard Kennedy, a past chairman of the IFA Dairy Committee and IFA Deputy President 2016-2020, to said the IFA HPT would seek financial supports for the horse sector through TAM's the Targeted Agricultural Modernisation Scheme. Richard Kennedy pointed out that other sectors currently have access to a 40% grant scheme to assist with infrastructural development on farms, and he wanted to see the horse sector included in future tranches of TAMs. This, he said, was the main priority of the IFA HPT. He further clarified the IFA HPT would focus on other areas in coming months, engaging with authorities on Brexit implications for the sector, including transporting horses and maintaining and safeguarding the high welfare status of the Irish horse sector. Through the IFA membership of the EU COPA Horse Working Party, 
currently chaired by HPT member Mr James Murphy and his office in Brussels, the IFA, Mr Kennedy said, would raise horse policy issues at the highest level in the European Union. John O'Connor for Farm Talk. Linda O'Neill, a Castletop native, now a dairy farmer in Dungavin County, Waterford, has just completed an Uffield Ireland scholarship where she investigated how the dairy industry can attract younger entrants by inspiring and motivating them about the industry. Linda will present the findings of her report at the prestigious Nuffield Ireland annual conference at a hybrid event next Friday. I caught up with Linda O'Neill to discuss her research and what motivated her to follow her chosen career. I'm involved in dairy farming myself, I suppose, and um, I went down the route of uh, lease dairy farms as I did not inherit a home farm. So I've been at that since 2017, I suppose. And I do feel, I suppose, in the industry currently, there's probably a shortage of people coming through and probably not not enough promotion done on this as a a rewarding career, that you can actually have a career in dairy farming without having a home block of land to to farm off. I suppose that was my big motivator to to promote that, you know. And your topic was no farm, no problem. Pathways into dairy farming and typically without inheriting the farmers you've already mentioned. So was that an obstacle for you without coming from that farming background? It was probably challenging enough, I suppose, like not having the, the, the home farm to return to. You did have to go out and carve your own path and find a farm to take on, I suppose. But I suppose I was fortunate enough and I think this is usually important for young people coming through as well. I had got my college education and I had been exposed to other people that had done it, I suppose. And it gave me, you know, it gave me the inspiration to say that, that I believe in myself that I could do it as well. And I think that was hugely important. And the mentoring that I got along the way from farmers that I worked with and also farmers that, that were doing this um, gave me the inspiration to actually go and do it myself. And the biggest thing, I suppose, is I had the drive to do it. And the other thing is, I, I, you know, I believed in myself to be able to do it as well. And when you were doing your research for the topic, you met with dairy farmers along the way. And were they from all different backgrounds as well? Yeah, really interesting. I got to speak to some, some great farmers. I suppose in total, I spoke to about 10 different dairy farmers, both nationally and internationally. And um I suppose just one or two farmers I spoke to here in Ireland, um, Joe Dean, who's farming in Cork at the moment, um, came from a, came from a small block of land, all right, but actually carved his own pattern and is now farming on two dairy farms in Carrigaline in Cork. Um, so he, he's he's doing that very successfully, leased farms as well. Um, and I met with a farmer, Kevin Moran from Galway as well, came from a small farm in Mayo, but actually went down to Galway and leased a unit and is now milking over 300 cows today as well. So they were the guys I spoke to kind of within the country. Then across the water, I spoke to Matthew Jackson, who's an inspirational young guy. He came from the heart of Manchester with no home farm to, to go to, to go back to, or never even came from a farm day one. And on the summer holidays, he just got out to Wales camping and, and just walked into the dairy farm on the campsite and started working there and has now grown his business today to over 1,700 cows on four different units. A very inspirational story, talking to Matthew. I uh, spoke to one or two farmers in Australia as well and New Zealand and um, just about how, they, how they've done the share milking route as well and didn't come from home farms and just carved their own pattern, grew their numbers and got into dairy farming. So some, some really interesting people that I was fortunate enough to talk to. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I didn't get to visit these, these farmers and visit their businesses yet, but I do plan to do so in the future. All, all interviews were 
conducted over Zoom remotely, you know. Looking to the future then, and based on the research that you carried out, what do you think needs to be done to promote farming as a career? I suppose um, I suppose we as farmers, I suppose, have an obligation to promote it. We've done it within our own discussion group, gone into agricultural colleges and just people that actually talk to students about how they've done it right from their, the beginning to where they are today. I think that's hugely important. Just we have to tell our story more, you know, and this is a quite a positive industry to be involved in and there's there's good gains to, to be made and you can actually the biggest thing for me like is like that people can go out there and run their own business and be their own boss. You know, there is potential to do that and, and basically start from nothing, you know, if you have the drive and ambition to do it. I also think it's schools, um, it needs to be promoted as well. I've been talking to a few secondary school teachers who um, are open to me to come in to talk to their transition year classes and that and maybe get a few more people with me and promote what we're actually doing because maybe the decisions are made when they've gone to college and we need to start further back at a school going age, you know. I think and that's very important. On the education side, I think we need to be offering very good placements to students when they come on farm and just to be there to mentor them and support them as well when, when they actually come on farm not just to be doing the day-to-day work, they also need to learn how a business runs and get exposed to that, you know, give them a taste for what it can be like to run their own business. Dairy farmer Linda O'Neill. For an update now on MACRA activities, we're joined this week by James Cassidy. MACRA this week has been very busy with uh, competitions. Um, there was bowling on the, the 29th of October with six teams taking part and um, it came down to a nail-biting finish between Glenmoyer and Ballincollig and Ballincollig eventually came out on top and they'll go on out to represent the region in the national finals on the 14th of November. In question time, we had that the other night as well, and Ballincollig and Kinsale are going forward on the 13th of November to represent the region in the national finals above in Dublin. There was a welding competition held on the 1st of November in Klein, and thanks to Cronin Trailers for um, holding the, the event and sponsoring, sponsoring it. Um, there was 10 participants to part in the night, and um, Vincent Murphy from White Church uh, came out on top in the end. So fair play to you. On the social side of things, there's a lot coming up there now in the run up to Christmas, so we're organising a few um, nights out and things that way. So um, keep an eye on the social media pages for more updates on that. And I suppose into kind of a serious matter now, Mocker are supporting Movember, which is to raise awareness for men's mental health. So um, do your bit and grow a more to help a bro. Clubs are invited to host events specifically for the men's in the clubs. Clubs should send photos to, of them events to Macro Socials to be in a chance of winning 10 beanie hats for your club. And thanks to James Cassidy. Philip Cotter from Cork East Ploughing is this reminder about tomorrow's match in Ballyfeard near Belgooley. Tomorrow we're back in Ballyfeard. Um, starting at 11 o'clock sharp. Now I must emphasise the start is 11 o'clock sharp. We're in the old time. We need to get started early for the judging the house uh, in good time before the dark. This match is being held on the lands of the O'Sullivan family at Ballydinisk, Belgooley, by their kind permission. And it's just half a mile from the village of Belgooley. It will be signposted from Carrigaline and it will be signposted from um, Belgooley. All classes will be catered for. There'll be uh, food in the field and the results will be called from the field at the end of the day. So, uh, the most important thing, I think, is to anybody that's interested to be there for 11 o'clock sharp starts. Thanks to Philip Cotter. And thanks to John O'Connor for co-producing and contributing to the Farm Talk programme this week. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Thank you for listening. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.